can open this morning your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. So Romans chapter 8. So we're spending a, quite a bit of our time in this series in the book of Psalms, but today we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. So if just to refresh you, if you're coming back or if you're new, we're, we're taking a season here to look at what the scriptures say to us about how to live as followers of Jesus in light of our emotional lives. And we're kind of just wanting to state the obvious that maybe a lot of us don't want to realize is that you have an emotional life. I mean, it's, it's just very obvious. Maybe you grew up in a family that kind of wanted to suppress that, that said that's not important. Maybe you've grown up or even been discipled in certain church cultures that kind of treated emotions as like an enemy. You know, you got to be careful about that. you got to watch out because if you're not careful, you're going you're gonna to swerve from faithful and true doctrine in the scriptures. And yet what we see in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, particularly just blown off the charts in the book of the Psalms, is that God's people have always been a people who embraced their, how they felt before God. And God's not only you know, tolerated that, He's actually created us that way. He actually celebrates it. He actually had the Spirit inspire many of these Psalms that if we read on first blush, kind of maybe feel a little blasphemous, feel a little over the top as we're taught that prayer, as one the catechism our children's learning, is basically just pouring out your heart to God. And as we get older, uh, sadly, that doesn't become easier. It often becomes harder. And we need help. And so we've taken these first few weeks to not just dive into what some of these key emotions are, which will start next week, but to look at God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in view of these realities so that we might follow Jesus as his disciples in the stuff of everyday life. And this morning, we're going to consider God the Spirit in light of our emotions. So we're going to read from Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. You can't compare or rank the Bible, but this is one of the most encouraging verses, group of verses, and happy for us to be here today. Beginning in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose... For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Father, thank you for this good news. We need it. We need it more than we know it, Father. We ask today, Holy Spirit, that you would show us that need and you would show us again that you are enough. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. I grew up pretty close to my grandparents, and I had one grandma that we called Granny. And she was a big personality, and she was somebody that we were very close to, and we would help her a lot. So growing up, we were working in the yard all the time. 
She's, she's maybe a little bossy. If some of my family's watching, they'll amen that. But, but she also helped us. So as I got into high school, she was a, a math teacher, high school math teacher for over 40 years. And she had to always help me with my algebra, whether I liked it or not. I was going to spend a lot of time with her. Well, as she got a little older, the nature of the relationship and the kind of help that was reciprocated began to change. And it, and it led to me having to make some trips to the store for her. And I remember sometimes these trips would just be getting canned biscuits and ham because that's what she liked to eat every morning. But one particular day, she gave me a list and sent me to the store. And I didn't even look at the list. It was just routine kind of thing. And I got to the store. And I got in the middle of it. And I looked down at the list. And I was completely overwhelmed. I had no idea that this mission that I'd been set on would, sent to, would push me to the limits of of my young and sensitive self. Because on that list this time were a lot of feminine hygiene products. Kind of the best way I could think to describe it. For my granny. I didn't want to think about those things and those parts and my granny together. So I began to just sit there like, what do I do? And I started thinking about all these lame excuses that I could come up with. Oh, sorry, Granny. You, you know, uh, uh, they, the, the truck didn't arrive that had those products. Or, you know, sorry, Walmart decided to shut down today. And this was, you know, way before the world we live in now. So that was unheard of. Every Walmart at that time was 24 hours all day long. Or I thought, I can just come back home and set the groceries down and leave and just act like it never happened. I'll just pretend like those things weren't on the list. She'll see that I didn't get them. She'll think, oh, well, he did the best that he could, and life will go on. But if you knew my granny, she she wouldn't take that. Like, she would say, go back to the store and get it now. And so I had to figure out what to do. And so I went to work. And here I am. I don't know where to look for this stuff in the store. I didn't have any sisters. I know some of you, maybe this is making you feel uncomfortable. It's making me feel uncomfortable to talk about it. So it was like, I had no clue what this thing, what these words meant, where these things were found. And so finally I had to do the next humiliating thing, and I had to ask for help. So I've got to go up to a stranger that works in this store, and I've got to say, here's this list, can you help me find this stuff? And thankfully I found someone that was able to help me that didn't, you know, laugh at me, at least to my face, maybe at break later they had a good time, but... She just went, put the stuff in my buggy. I still had to go through the painful process of checking out. But I made it back, and Granny got what she needed, and maybe I grew up a little bit more that day. But I got in over my head. Silly as it may seem, I think this really relates to the fact that when we're dealing with our emotional lives, if we're going to really take this seriously, Every single person in here is going to find yourself dealing with way more than you bargained for. Way more. Some of you are up for it, right? You think you're up for it. You're like, yeah, let's go there. I say this with with all humility, but as someone who's tried to walk this path a little bit and has a lot farther to go, is you don't know what you're getting into. However emotionally healthy and aware that you think you are, The Spirit will show you things and other people are going to point out things to you that you don't like, that you don't want to deal with, that you don't want to look at, that you don't want to pay attention to. And just like me in that store, you're going to start to think of all types of excuses of why you can't go there, of why you shouldn't go there, of why maybe some of you would say, I tried to go there in the past, it didn't work out or I I just know the type of person I am, and it's going to feel like it's too much for you to handle, and it's going to feel like that because it's true. You can't handle it, and I can't handle it. You're right. We can't handle it alone. If you try to do this work alone, this work of discipleship, you're going to get stuck. It may end up worse than it was before. And you're just not going to have a way out. 
It's like the old saying, I don't remember which philosopher said it, is you're asking a fish to describe what it feels like to be wet. We've lived our lives with our, with our adaptive strategies to survive, with our self-protection walls that we've all built up, with our self-redemption programs in ways that we don't even consciously realize at times. Because we're all doing from day one that we enter this world, we're trying to make ourselves feel safe. We're trying to be safe. We've got to have someone from the outside who can speak in and break in. But the reality is it's going to feel humiliating to have that kind of help. Where the gospel leads us first is not simply to the people that maybe are sitting around you that love you. But the Bible leads us to a person that we so often overlook when it comes to the good news of the gospel, and that's the Holy Spirit. If we would have did a poll and I said, who is the first person you think to go to for help when you're overwhelmed? I wonder how many would write in, just knee-jerk reaction, the Holy Spirit of God. That is the first person I run to when I'm overwhelmed. Some of you are uncomfortable talking about the Holy Spirit because of your background. Whether that be in church or whether that be in the world. But the only way that we will make it through this discipleship that Jesus wants to lead us on to follow Him in the stuff of everyday life, to submit our emotional life to Him, is only if we humble ourselves to depend on the help of the Holy Spirit. The only hope that we have, it's not in our own willpower, it's not in our own intellectual possibilities, it's not even in our communal support. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we will not be able to handle the reality of our hearts, the reality of our world, and the call that we have to actually not experience this freedom ourselves, but to bring it to other people. But if we humble ourselves to depend on the Spirit, we can grow in the wholeness of the gospel. So what do we see from our text today? What kind of help can we depend on for the Holy Spirit? A few things here. Of course, they're all going to start with an R, because I'm a cliche preacher is we can, the Spirit helps us read our emotional life in light of the truth because He's a person. The Spirit helps us regulate our emotional life because of His presence. And the Spirit helps us redeem our emotional life because of His power. So the first one, we need to see and submit and seek the help of the Spirit to read our emotions because He's a person. Notice verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. If you know anything about Romans chapter 8, go read it if you don't. It's this beautiful picture of how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have conspired together to bring us freedom from sin and suffering in the world. It begins with that glorious verse we've already read. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it speaks even as it goes on into the chapter of this reality that the whole world one day is going to be redeemed from its fallenness. When the sons and the daughters of God are presented, it's those who have been made whole through the work of Christ. And we see this likewise. Likewise. Now if we overlook the glorious realities in Romans 8, 1 through 25, and we often do, we, we really can forget these two verses. That the Holy Spirit is not like the crazy uncle of the Trinity. Sometimes we talk of the Holy Spirit in one of few ways. Uh, try to s- summarize this for you. We can think of the Holy Spirit as a buzz, as a belief, or as a bunny suit. This is what I mean. The first thing is oftentimes we think of the Holy Spirit as a buzz. Again, we don't think of the Spirit as a person. We think of the Spirit as an emotion. But if we don't separate the Spirit's personhood from our emotions, then these things get conflated, they get confused, and we don't have any help. Sadly, so many times when people speak of the Holy Spirit, they talk in terms of it. When in the history of the church, 
not to be that guy, it's like, that's heresy. Like, it's not just like a minor thing. It's like saying the Spirit of God is not a person who is God. But also we can miss out by thinking of the Holy Spirit just as a belief. Just a doctrine to be studied. Just a, a topic to be dissected or debated in late night conversations about certain gifts or certain possibilities. And so we miss out. There's no relational reality that we see here in Romans 8, 26 and 27. No, the Spirit is just a topic so that we can score points in conversations. But the last one that maybe sounds a little more strange to you is the bunny suit. Now, if anybody's ever seen the Christmas Story movie, you know Ralphie gets his pink bunny suit on Christmas morning. The bunny suit is a very well-intentioned gift, I guess, from Aunt Clara. I think that's the name. But it's kind of embarrassing, and it's definitely not something you want to wear out in public. Sometimes this is what we think of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes up in the workplace. The Holy Spirit comes up, maybe sadly, even conversations among Christians. And all of us are kind of like this. I feel uncomfortable. Let's talk about something else. And yet throughout the whole story of God, it's the Spirit of God that leads God's people into the depths of who God is and what He's done. the Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. If you wonder why the Spirit is spoken of so highly, not only in the Scriptures, but the history of the church, Isaiah 63.10 says, but they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. Therefore He turned to be their enemy and He fought against them. That rebelling against God grieves the Spirit the Holy Spirit of God. We, we see that it's just used interchangeably, the, the Spirit of God and God. In Acts 5, 3 through 4, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? The end of verse 4, he says, you have not lied to men, but to God. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Hebrews 9.14, I could read so many more, but there's not time. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit... We could just read on and on about how all of the Scriptures... The Holy Spirit's not an it. The Holy Spirit's not a force. The Holy Spirit's not a buzz. The Holy Spirit's not just a belief. The Holy Spirit's not a well-intentioned bunny suit that you don't really have any practical use for in your life. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. And because of this good news, He is able to help us in our weakness. He is the connection between the truth of God and the truth about us. To transfer to another grandmother story, my other grandmother, Mama, she had cancer. And in those early days, I remember she would go to the waiting room, and my grandmother, doing her best to understand, is going to be given some very big news from doctors, and she's going to need some help to decipher that. And she always had with her family members, people who loved her, people who supported her, people who could help understand the words from the doctor, the words to her real life and what that meant and then be there with her to hold her and to help her and to walk with her, whatever that was. But as a pastor, particularly in that season, that had pastored churches primarily of senior adults, I'd been to these waiting rooms many times and I'd seen so many people who sat there alone. I mean, just put yourself there. You're, you're, you're older, you're overwhelmed, you're by yourself. And this doctor's going to walk out and he's going to tell you something in some language that you might not understand that's going to wreck your life. Or be good news 
but you don't know how to receive. Some of you may feel that way right now. As you dive into your story, as you dive into these emotions, it's going to feel like, I don't, I, don't even know, I don't even know what I'm finding out. I don't even know what I'm hearing. I don't even know what's true anymore. I just feel like I'm in the fog. And what the gospel of Jesus is coming to tell us is you are not alone. That the Holy Spirit of God is with you. The Holy Spirit of God is in you. Not just as a buzz. Not just as a belief. Not as a bunny suit. But as God. This is why you need Him. You don't need a new high. You need a helper. You don't need someone else or something else to entangle you, to distract you, to lead you deeper in denial. You need someone who can di differentiate for you truth from lies reality from fantasy, and give you wisdom. You need someone who not can just tell you what to do, but someone who can be there with you to lead you into a deeper delight. You don't need a program, first of all. You need a person. You need the great revealer of truth and the great reader of hearts. We need to ask the Spirit of God to help us. To help us read our emotions in light of the truth of God's word. And this only starts by acknowledging his personhood. You've got to acknowledge it. You've got, to, you've, got, you've, you've got to quit thinking that because you have this Bible, you don't need the Holy Spirit. Again, that's blasphemy. That is not what this Bible teaches. If you believe in the Bible, you haven't created a new trinity that's Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Scripture. You acknowledge his personhood. You do it without excuse. You do it without embarrassment. But you can do it. You must do it. You must believe what Jesus said when he said to these disciples. He said, it's better for me to go away from you. John 16, 7, if you need to check it. It's better for me to go away from you. It's for your advantage. Because if I don't go, then the Spirit's not going to come live in you. In that same chapter, John 16, 13, Jesus calls the Spirit the Spirit of truth. In Hebrews 4, 12, this great scripture that talks about the Word of God, how it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword because it pierces down into our attentions and our motivations. Well, who do the scriptures speak of that wields that sword? In Ephesians 6, as it speaks of the armor of God and it speaks of the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit. Many of us take up the Bible as a textbook instead of as a sword. We let the world, we let the flesh, and we let the devil tell us about the reality of our hearts. We let them interpret emotions. We don't bring that ground to the one who can help us take it captive for Christ. But without the truth of the person of the Spirit, we will most likely miss the truth of God's word and the truth of our hearts. It's hard to know ourselves. We have these emotions cards that we're going to refer to most often. Doing this in groups many times now, usually you don't point out the one that's the most important. Even the people in here who think they're so self-aware, it's like we're so afraid of that one. When we come to read our Bibles, it's amazing what we miss because of what that's going to cost us. But the Spirit of God is there to help us if we will ask, if we will trust, if we will pray, Holy Spirit, as I, as I look in my heart to tell the truth about how I feel and experience that and submit that to the truth of what you say is true, would you protect me from my self-protective strategies? Would you show me how I have runarounds to your redemptive purposes? And then we must align ourselves with the community of the Spirit in this. 
as Paul writes these words through the Spirit, about the Spirit, so that we might know the Spirit, he doesn't write them to mere individual Christians, but to the family of God. Any healthy doctrine of the Holy Spirit realizes the Spirit is not just indwelling me, the Spirit is indwelling His people. That my brother or sister in Christ has every bit as much of the Holy Spirit as I do. That the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, so the Spirit's not going to like lead me into this truth and lead them into this truth. And this is where the humility goes up. Because this is when we have to be willing to not just set before the Word, but set before the church, set before God's people and say, I really feel like the Spirit is showing me this through the Word. But what do you think? What do you think? We are great at blaming all kinds of stuff on the Holy Spirit. Right? Some of you in college and some knuckleheads are probably going to say, the Holy Spirit said for me to go on a date with you. Right? If y'all have not heard that nonsense at a Christian school, I'm surprised. That's how it was at mine. I've been praying, and I just know it's God's will for us to be together. And what's your name? I've seen people blame affairs on the Holy Spirit. I've had somebody tell me, well, me and her are doing Bible studies together. I've, I've, anything in the world, all types of craziness from the from the not-so-dangerous to the very dangerous. And people who have God's Word. But the Bible talks about the church as a fellowship of the Holy Spirit. If we want to submit ourselves to the work of the Spirit, we come under the authority of Word, but we also come into the community of the saints. We need the Spirit to help us read our emotions and all that is true around them. But also we need the Spirit to help us regulate our emotions by His presence. So the Spirit is not just a person. Some of you, that might be a big step for you today. Wow, what is, thinking of the Holy Spirit is a person, not just a force or a buzz or a belief. But, but the next step is to see this isn't just a doctrine about His personhood, is that the Bible presents the Holy Spirit as an active presence in our life. An active presence. And we see this here. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He searches hearts. And, and He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Again, the Holy Spirit is not just an idea. The Holy Spirit is not just a doctrine. The Holy Spirit is not now irrelevant because you have a, a Bible. The Holy Spirit is active, engaging in your life. The question is, are you engaging with Him? He helps us in our weaknesses. As we go deeper in our stories and our emotions, you're going to get to the point where it's like, I don't, even, I don't know what to pray. I don't know the will of God. Verse 27 says, I, I, I don't know the will of God. I'm confused. Oh, how many times have I been there? I feel numb. Even when I try to pray, I just feel like it's bouncing off the ceiling back down at me. Sweetness. I feel helpless, confused. Maybe I'm praying for the wrong thing. But you know, sometimes we do. It gets mental, it gets physical. One person said this, when stressed, we get caught up in negative thoughts. We feel it in our bodies. For some of us, sometimes for me, it's like, I feel at certain seasons in my life, like I'm, I'm having trouble breathing right now. I don't want to talk to anybody. I couldn't talk if I wanted to talk to somebody. I got this tension in my neck. or going down my back. I need help. I need help. We have help. The Spirit helps us through His strength, even though we are weakness. He's interceding for us. We see this verse with groanings too deep for words. 
There may be some debate on what this means, but I think it's very clear that what it definitely doesn't mean is the spirit is some type of impersonal force. Some sort of static idea. I think what it's saying here in this verse, verse 27, is that the spirit, verse 26, is that the spirit takes our wordless groanings and brings them to the Father with a content and a clarity that we can't. I'm going to say that again. The Spirit takes our wordless groanings and brings them to the Father with the right content and the right clarity that we just can't have. He inspires that. He, he brings that up to us as we cry out to God, but sometimes we don't have the words. And for many of us, when we don't have the words, we feel guilt. Or we feel shame, like what's wrong with me that I don't know? What's wrong with me that I can't do this? What's wrong with me is so overwhelming that we get afraid. And it's like, I just want to stop. I just have to quit. I, just, I can't do this anymore. Because we feel so lonely. Because we live in a society so oftentimes it tells us that our only security is found in our articulation of ideas and thoughts and concepts. We don't know how to just be before the Lord and trust that His Spirit has got us. He's got us. John Stott, definitely no guy that's out there on the fringes, if you know John Stott. He says this, These unutterable sighs or groans are not to be despised as if we ought to put them in the language. On the contrary, when we thus sigh with inarticulate desires, it is the Holy Spirit interceding on our behalf, prompting these deep longings to be poured out to God. Encouragement to you is to don't lose hope when you can't put words to everything. Just lay out before the Lord and trust your heart to the Spirit before the Father. When we lean into a trusting posture of the Spirit's intercessory prayer work for us, then we know we not only have a help to read our emotions, but now we have someone who is with us as we work to regulate. Because this stuff's overwhelming. Life is overwhelming at times. When I, was, when I was young, and I hadn't thought about this until I prepared this sermon, if I've not shared enough weird stuff with you already, it's going to get worse now. So first off, when I was real little, I had an Ernie toy that I carried around so much with me, his arm literally broke off and had to be re-sewn back on. So I'm sure there's no issues there. Uh, but then when I got a little older, I don't even know that I've talked to my wife and kids about this. I really just, it really just came to me as I was meditating through this. I had an imaginary friend named Bradford. Yeah, I'm that guy. And I, as I started thinking about that, I remember drawing pictures of him. I remember having conversations with him in my bedroom. Uh, why am I sharing this? this or, you know, you're seem better on paper. Uh, like this this guy got me this was somebody I could talk to and obviously he was not going to have a negative response now I'm going to make myself feel better and I, I think in here that this is fairly normal with some children anyway it was a crutch be a crutch for kids with emotions that they can't get out or know how to deal with or know who to talk to. But I grew up and the emotions didn't die away just because I got older because guess what? Emotions aren't just for kids. If you think, I w emotions are something I need to grow out of. Weakness is something I need to grow out of. Well, either right now in your life you're having to live in some deep denial or distraction, or maybe drug abuse. There's a lot of people, that's how they deal with it. So where do we go now? We need a friend who's with us, who helps us. A real friend, a real person. 
a real presence that we don't have to make up. That person, that presence is the Holy Spirit of God. He's not an imaginary friend. Some of us in here, that's kind of maybe how we think. Like, i got to just kind of imagine this thing called the Holy Spirit and play pretend. Scriptures paint a different picture. But again, just as we begin to let Him read our emotions by acknowledging Him as a person, we have to begin to participate with Him in regulating them by just acknowledging His active presence in our life. That's a big step for many of us, just to acknowledge the Spirit of God is indwelling me, and the Spirit of God is actively at work right now. I feel so lonely, I feel so hurt, I feel so afraid, but I'm not alone. I don't know how to pray, I don't know what to say, but i got somebody who's praying and saying it for me. I can ask Him for comfort and for calm. I can do this as a whole person. You see, sometimes when we think of the Holy Spirit, we, we, we go to this really other wrong view that's been perpetrated through the history of the church, and that is this view. Body bad, spirit good. Lowercase spirit. So some people actually have a theology that one day when Jesus returns, we'll have, there'll be no more bodies, and we'll just be spirits floating around through the universe on clouds, maybe with harps, depending on what cartoon you watch. But guess who created the body? God. And guess if you actually read the Bible, what it says is going to happen is not one day we're going to float to the clouds as spirits, but our spirit will be united with a new, better, renewed resurrection bodies that we will live forever in a new earth experiencing the fullness of all that was ever meant to be for us to be humans. So when we think about the work of the Spirit, we can't think about the work of the Spirit without also thinking about what's going on in our bodies. And if we don't acknowledge this, we're going to get way thrown off when we're talking about submitting our emotions to the reign of Christ because guess what? Your emotions are happening in your body. You know this. And you may think I'm crazy, but you already have ways you're dealing with it. Some of you, when you're overwhelmed emotionally, you go eat ice cream. And it calms you down. Or you go buy Little Caesars pizza and eat it in the, in the, in the parking lot and nobody watches. You eat the whole thing. I don't know where that came from. I'd never do that. Or you... you you go watch Netflix all night. Or again, some people shoot up meth. Or some people go down the street and knock on a door and get a morphine. Or some people go into their mom's cabinet or their own cabinet and they take two or three more pills than they're prescribed. So let's not all of a sudden start acting all oh, so spiritual like I don't need to address my body. You are addressing your body, no matter who you are. Even if you go play basketball when you're overwhelmed. Well, what is it going to look like to submit that to the presence and reality of the Spirit in your life? Well, here's a, a few things that some people have done in the history of the church. Is the first thing is just to think about your breathing. So again, the reason we're here, you're going in this emotional reality of your life. You're going into your story. You're going to get overwhelmed if you tell the truth. And at certain times, you're going to need to say, i gotta, I got to calm down. And, and maybe you just need to breathe. I mean, the Hebrew word for spirit is breath. You may just, you need to breathe. And that's going to sound silly. You need to breathe in deep, and you need to hold it, and you need to breathe out. You've got to get some oxygen back to that brain that God created you with. This isn't no psychobabble crazy talk. God created you as a body and with a brain. And he wants you to submit it to him, not to other things. You might could even do a breath prayer. So I breathe in, and I hold it, and I just say in my heart, or be still and know that I am God. And I breathe out. You may have other verses. 
You may need to look in the Psalms and you may need to look and see how when all these emotions are being expressed, how so often they're accompanied by physical acts. I mean, it's so weird how we, we assume some of these postures of praise and prayer before God is limited to certain theological distinctions. I mean, just read the Bible, the book of Psalms. We lift our hands. We bow, we, we, we kneel on our knees. We lift up our heads. We bow our heads. We shout. We clap. Do we remember what our first ancestors did with God in the cool of the day? They went on a walk with God. The Holy Spirit brings us into that type of intimate relationship with God. But we've got to learn to lean into it. So that when life is overwhelming, when telling the truth about our hearts is overwhelming, we know that we're not alone. The last thing we see is not only does the Spirit help us read our emotions as a person, regulate our emotions as presence, but also redeem our emotions by His power. So there's a big problem that hopefully maybe is rising up in your hearts is the reading of our hearts in the Word by the Spirit is essential, but that can be overwhelming too. When He's showing us all this stuff about who we are and showing us all this reality that God wants to invite us into. And then the regulation of the Spirit is essential, but, but even if we're getting calmed down, there's still nothing really dealt with. I mean, it's great to know He's praying for us. It's great to know He's interceding for us. It's great for us to submit to that and participate that and engage with that, mind, body, and soul. But we still need forgiveness. We still need healing. We still need deliverance. There's still sins, there's still wounds, there's still an enemy that hates us. So we, we, we've got His person, we've got His presence, but we need His power. And this is what we see. That Paul is not just like jumping around here, blah, 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 let's talk about the Spirit, now let's talk about this. No, he's talking about the coordinated, beautiful work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Spirit comes as He intercedes for us, and as we submit to that, to put the spotlight on the finished work of Jesus. John 16, 15, Jesus says, When the Spirit comes, He will glorify Me. And as the Spirit puts the spotlight on the finished work of Christ, we now, as broken, needy people, find that we have an anchor and a confidence to tell the truth about our life. We don't have to be afraid to go there. We don't have to fear that the guilt and the shame will be too much. Why? Because of all these beautiful things in these verses that each could be talked about for eternity. What does the Spirit do? What has He brought us by His power? He has brought us the reality that God is sovereign and that all things work together for the good of His people. And you've got to hold on to that when you're going deep into your heart and into the world. He's telling us the reality of this chain of salvation, verses 29 and 30, that cannot be broken. Whatever you're going to find in there, it's not going to be able to break this chain of your hope and your glorification. Verse 31, the Spirit reminds us of who God is in the middle of it all. He is a God who is for us. Even if many things and many others may be against us. Verse 32, he reminds us of what God has done in the middle of it all. And he has given us his son. And if he's given us his son, do you think now he's going to toy with you and mess with you and say, let's poke on this and hurt them here? Let's just, you, you know, they're just kind of like puppets that I'm messing with. No, he gave his son for you. How will he, who did not spare his son, not now graciously give you everything that you need? Verses 33 through 37, he reminds us of our identity in the middle of it all. Lots of things coming against us. Verse 36 is, is pretty rough. It's quoted from a psalm. We're being killed all the day long, regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's kind of how it feels and how it looks from the outside perspective. But the gospel reality is no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Then verses 38 and 39, he reminds us that there's nothing, there is nothing 
Nothing you got hid in that closet. Nothing buried under the floorboards of your house. Nothing somebody could find out. Nothing you could find out that would separate you from the love of God in Christ. This is really good news. It's really good news. As I thought about this, I thought about leaving ball games early. And what I what I mean by this is, have anybody in here ever went to a ball game and it looked like, oh, this thing's over, the other team's going to win, so I'm just going to go ahead and leave? I, I vaguely remember this happening one time to me, and I can't remember if it was a Braves game. I used to go to some of those when I was younger, if it was a high school game, so I'm not going to lie like I guess a preacher could and make it sound like I do. can't remember, but I remember this part. I remember leaving wanting to beat traffic and turning the radio on and hearing an epic comeback take place. And just thinking, man, I wish I would have hung around for that. It would have been worth the traffic. Some of us, no doubt, have left or are entertaining leaving the game early. By the game, I mean the work that God wants to do in your life, the change he wants to bring. It's like, well, score's just too far now. Just let's go home while I sit in traffic for something that's a foregone conclusion. Why not give up because the Holy Spirit of God is in you? You don't know that part of the gospel. You may be missing out on the key to the change God wants to do in your life. He is indwelling you. He is interceding for you. And he is intending with the sovereign power of God to see you brought home and glorified before the world. And he is in the business of bringing the not yet into the now. Sure, it won't be perfect. Sure, it will be painful. But he is at work. He is powerful to redeem. The same spirit that hovered over creation and created that shalom out of nothing is the same spirit that is hovering over your heart right now. The same spirit that is Jesus hung on the cross a day of darkness like history has never known, yelling out in his own emotional pain from his humanity. The day where the Son of God died. And if there was ever a day when people were to say, that's too much to handle, let's just take it to the house. If there was ever a time to say, evil's too big, pain is too powerful, sin is too strong, that would have been the day to say, maybe I'll believe that. Because Jesus is dead. He's lying under the grave. But we read earlier in this same book of Romans, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and get this, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus was raised from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now fast forward to Romans 8, but a little earlier. Paul says this to us, to you. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. We were shouting folks. I guess we might shout there because this is no mere trendy song lyric. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead dwells in you. That's where our hope's found. That's why we can go there. That's why the truth doesn't have to be overwhelming. 
but we need help. We have it, but we need it. So we must humble ourselves, depend on the help of the Holy Spirit. We are grow the wholeness of our emotional life. Father, thank you. Spirit, thank you. Jesus, thank you. As we come now to the table, may we remember these twin promises of the new covenant, that our sins are forgiven once for all, but also we have the Spirit to enable us to live the life Jesus calls us to live. In his name we pray. Amen. If you close your eyes for just a second for the purpose of, of reflection, not manipulation. Each week we come to the Lord's table as a response to the word of Christ. The Lord's table is, is for followers of Jesus. We take the bread and the cup not to be saved, but as those who have trusted in him. If you've never trusted in him, we invite you to stand around with us, but our invitation to you is to take Jesus, to turn from your self-trust and to turn to him, to confess your need of him, view of your sin and suffering, and to find that he is enough, to trust his death in your place and his resurrection for your life. But as we come to the table, we also don't want to partake of it in some sort of meaning, ritualistic way. But as believers, we want to take time to celebrate his victory. To remember the Lord's table, communion, is not, a, is not like a weird reliving of some kind of funeral for Jesus. It's a lifting of a cup. It's a toasting. It's a celebration. And so as we gather around the table, I want to encourage everyone to share Share from their heart where the Spirit might be at work. But to make sure that we sit in the joy of the victory that we have in Christ, encouraging one another that there is forgiveness, healing, and deliverance through Him. So Father, now as we come to the table, may we come with our heads lifted up because of Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen. Let's go now to the Lord's table. If you're new this morning, you can uh, follow, follow a group and... It will be clear what to do. All right, everybody.